go to the moon. I can't believe what's happening here. I got And now, History Boulevard with John Oakley. May 8, 1963, Sean Connery starred in his first Bond movie, Dr. No. Ursula Andress, Jack Lord also in there. They go down to Jamaica, and uh, I guess they were trying to investigate the murder of a, a CIA agent or uh, one of these uh, spooks, and nonetheless, Dr. No became notorious for wanting to see James liquidated. Uh, that being said, it sort of kick-started a franchise that we're all familiar with, and there have been so many installments. Wanted to uh, talk to Raymond Benson, who sits on the advisory board of the Ian Fleming Foundation, the first American to be commissioned by the Ian Fleming estate to write continuation James Bond novels. And he did so between 96 and 2002. Six original novels, three film novelizations. Raymond Benson, good to have you on the Oakley Show in Toronto. Good afternoon. Good afternoon to you, too. How are you? I'm great. How about you? Are you uh, commemorating this date, or has it at least made your radar? Well, you know, uh, it's kind of it's kind of like a, a, a second date because really the film premiered in England in October of 1962. Oh, so most most fans really celebrate that date, October 5th, 19, uh, yeah, October 5th, 1962. Uh, because Dr. No has a 1962 date on it. It was six months later, though, that United Artists did release the film in America here on May 8th. Um, I guess, you know, there was in those days, if a film was made in England, you know, it was considered a British film. It didn't get released automatically like maybe today it does. Um, uh in other countries. And so, and they, they also wanted to see what it would do because this was something very, very new. Uh, it was a new kind of action film. It was, it broke all kinds of ground. It was had sex and it had violence and it was just something different. And the, the character himself, James Bond was an anti-hero uh, in, in that, you know, he's part good. He's part bad. Uh, he has vices, you know, uh, mm-hmm. and they didn't know how it was going to play. And when it was a hit in England, you know, they realized, okay, this is this is going to have legs. So then they decided, okay, let's release it in America uh, six months later. But you know, United Artists was very skittish about it. United Artists was the production was the studio that uh, was behind it, mm-hmm. and uh, they didn't really know how to gauge what Americans would think of it. So they they released it first in the Midwest and like drive-in theaters and small theaters and just to kind of see how it would play. And it seemed to get good, you know, good box office and word of mouth. And so they said, okay, let's have real premieres in L.A. and New York. And that happened at the end of May of 1963. Uh, And even then, it was like on a double bill with some other movie. (laughs) You know, they were kind of afraid of it. Really? Finally, they, they realized, gosh, this is this, you know. People like it. And so, you know, they gave the green light to make the second film from Russia with Love, uh, and uh, which, you know, improved on all, all counts um, the series and, and progressed it. Uh, and it was released in the fall of 1963 in England and in April of 1964 of America. And Sean Connery came to own the role uh, until he no longer wanted it. Uh, I heard uh, Never Say Never Again was actually somewhat ironic because he had said, uh, I never want to be a part of the franchise going forward. And yet they coerced him or whatever, convinced him to go back into it, right? 
Right. Uh, but see, Never Say Never Again was a rogue film. It was made by a different production company than the one that made the original, you know, the original Connery movies. Uh, Eon Productions is, is what we think of as, you know, the, the, the studio that makes the Bond films. They've made pretty much all of the films. There were a couple of films that were made by other studios because of some rights situation, uh, some rights problems. <laughs> and right. one of those was uh, the rights to Thunderball. And Thunderball, of course, was the fourth uh, Connery Eon Productions film. And uh, but the rights were owned by a different guy and he had remake rights you know, 10 years after the release of Thunderball. So he went off on his own and tried to make the uh, remake of Thunderball for years, you know, had legal obstacles. And finally, finally he broke the legal obstacles. And in the early eighties was able to make remake Thunderball. So never say never again is a remake of Thunderball starring Sean Connery again, but made by a completely different company. That's why it doesn't have any of the bond music in it or the opening gun barrel or any of that. Oh, Okay, uh, interesting detail or minutia, and you would know Raymond Benson's with us, sits on the advisory board of the Ian Fleming Foundation. It was on this date, uh, Dr. No was released in North America, where such Philistines, I mean, it was uh, the previous fall it was released in England, and they were rather tepid here in North America about uh, how the audiences might respond. Now, I've got to ask, because I know you were instrumental in uh, writing the world is not enough. Uh, die another day. Oh, tomorrow never dies as well. These were all uh, when Pierce Brosnan uh, was the Bond character, was he not? I mean, there were several iterations that included George Lazenby, Roger Moore in there, uh, Timothy Dalton. When you right. inherit a franchise that's as established as this and uh, recognizable, how much of a challenge is that in the writing? Oh, my gosh. Uh, it was big shoes to fill because, you know, first it was Ian Fleming, of course, and he was... He was a master. Uh, he was like, uh, you know, I grew up reading Ian Fleming. Uh, and then uh, after his death, the, the uh, state decided to, you know, periodically hire another writer to continue the series. And the first was Kingsley Amos, who was, you know, a, a literary prize winner. And he only wrote one book that was uh, published in 1968. Then it was about, you know, 12 years later, uh, John Gardner was hired to write several books and he, he was in the mantle for, for a while, uh, almost 15 years. And he wrote several books. And then finally he decided to hang up his hat. And then the estate turned to me, uh, which was a big surprise. Uh, I almost fell out of my chair when they asked me to do it. And, uh, why did they ask you to do it by the way? <laughs> well, uh, in the early eighties, I wrote a book called the James Bond bedside companion. And this was a coffee table nonfiction book about the history of Bond, a biography of Ian Fleming, and analyses and critiques of all the books and all the movies. And this was the first time all of that had been put in one book. Hmm. And uh, I had gone to England to research it, and I met Ian Fleming's agent, the guy who runs the, the estate's publishing business, and uh, we got along and, you know, he wanted to see what I was writing. And I met members of Ian Fleming's family and uh, colleagues and friends. And uh, when the book came out in 1984, uh, they liked it, I guess. You know, it, it kind of established me as this quote unquote Bond expert. And, uh, you know, throughout the 80s, still John Gardner was writing in the early 90s. But I was doing other things. I did I did little odd jobs for them. Um, no pun intended. Uh, and, and <laughs> finally, when, when Gardner 
stopped, um, I got a call from Fleming's agent, and he said, Raymond, um, how would you like to give it a shot? <laughs> you know, and I just kind of went, blah. Mm-hmm. Uh, and so I did, you know, and I had to kind of go through a little audition by by uh, coming up with a, a plot, an outline uh, on spec that they would have to approve, as well as the British publisher and the American publisher. Uh, and then once that was approved, I had to write the first four chapters on spec and get the same approval process. And then I got the contract and I, I did it for seven years. Well, yeah, I mean, you're a rather prolific writer, but uh, in this instant, you know, uh, the three Bond flicks of some renown, again, uh, when you had Pierce Brosnan as the lead character, uh, that ain't too shabby because he's still considered one of the best iterations. Let me ask you finally, the James Bond bedside companion that came out in 84 uh, and was updated in 88, is that still in print? Not as a print book, but it is on ebook, um, and it's still the 1988 text. Um, but it is available as an ebook, and it's been it. it uh, there's a new introduction to it, and uh, but it, I, I I chose not to update it after I since since I became a, one of the official authors of books, uh-huh. it didn't really sit well with me ethically to to then critique other authors' books or the films themselves. Um, because now I was on that side of the line, if you understand what I mean. <laughs> yeah, I do indeed. So uh, it is a, is a, is a, it is a relic of the 1980s, but it's a, it's a nice <laughs> relic. Well, you know, right there in the sweet spot of the Bond franchise uh, from the inception, as you say, up until the mid-80s, the James Bond Bedside Companion, so folks can uh, look for that for further reference, considered to be the comprehensive book on Ian Fleming and uh, Bond in those days. Uh, Raymond Benson sits on the advisory board of the Ian Fleming Foundation. Really a delight to talk to you on this, the anniversary of the release of Dr. No in North America in 1963. I look forward to other occasions, perhaps, where we can talk again. Thanks for your time. You bet. I enjoyed it. Thanks for having me. Likewise. Thank you, Raymond. Listen to The John Oakley Show live each weekday afternoon from 3 until 6. If you live in the Toronto area, just turn that AM dial to 640 and listen anywhere on Earth 24 hours a day by going to 640toronto.com. Follow on Twitter at AM640Oakley. You've been listening to A Curious Cast. New podcasts and shows are debuting all the time. So check back often to see what's new in the Curious Cast Library.